0: Um, uh, mixed feelings. It's uh, it's I'm, I'm hoping it's closure for a lot of people. I'm hoping it's it's starting that process towards closure. Um, we unfortunately can never bring these men back. But um, I'm hoping we can start bringing some closure to the families and the communities.
1: And that is uh, Detective Dickinson, who was a lead in this investigation uh, with Bruce MacArthur And the details are simply horrific. And because we got a plea today, uh, the families of those eight murdered men, and, and we as, as well, will be spared from a lot of the most vile details of this uh, killing. But certainly through the agreed statement of facts, we're starting to get a very uh, deep look into the mind of really what drove Bruce McCarter's there's lust uh, for blood. And we know um, that he had a rape, I guess a kill kit, uh, which held his tools, the tape, the ligature, Gloves, needles, all the tools he needed to commit his crimes. And that bag was still fully in use. So police had it, I guess, so he could use it when he got uh, the desire. But he kept trophies of his victims. He kept jewelry. He kept notebooks. And he posed his victims after they were killed. And so this guy that everyone describes as, as terrific, I mean... He was not just a methodical, organized, manipulative hunter looking for prey every chance he got. His crime spree reveals, you know, he wasn't just a serial killer. He was a prolific sex offender who got off on this kind of crime. Dave Perry, not just a homicide detective for 30 years. He has an extra special skill, and that is in catching sex offenders. He literally wrote the mandate for Toronto sex crimes. And he joins me now. So you've got a particular expertise in this area. And so you've got, a, I think, an interesting perspective uh, of what we heard and can read between the lines of, of what Bruce MacArthur has agreed to in that statement of facts. Were you, were you surprised at the details we learned?
0: No, actually, if, if I was surprised about anything, Alex, it, it's that it wasn't as detailed as I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. But I think we're going to hear more about the details during the sentencing.
1: Right, and so I mean, there's, there there is a debate. People say, well, we don't really need to know more, and you know, uh, it, it it's something that you, we in the media handle with particular um, caution. We don't put everything out there. Certainly, we sanitize a lot of it, but you do need to put the details on record, no matter how offensive they might be.
0: You do have to put the details on the record. The case will always stand. the The details of that case will far outlive MacArthur. Um, But what the Crowns often do in cases like this is they put as much detail as possible on the record during the plea or during the sentencing process just for the assurance that should he ever apply for parole and given his age and how long he's going to do at a minimum. That's highly unlikely, but in most cases, especially with offenders that are much younger than MacArthur, they want everything on record for that eventual day when somebody applies for parole.
1: Right. And if they have to set precedent for something else, whether it's dangerous offenders all of that, they, that they would want to make sure that there's something on record that they can say, "Well, look, Bruce MacArthur got this, and here's the, the, the bar to which we um, you know weigh you know information or, or decisions.
0: Right. And it's, it's hard to believe that Bruce MacArthur is not the most prolific serial killer, serial sexual sadist that the Canadian public has ever seen. Mm-hmm. But he's certainly up there ranks with some of the worst. And some of the things we heard about uh, today, Alex, are all of, all of the things that, you know, give him that, that sort of classification. The fact that this guy murdered eight innocent men speaks volumes and is uh, in of itself enough that he should never see the light of day again but when you break it down and you look at the fact that he was involved in confinement Mm -hmm. that he was carrying a kill kit with him he was always with his tools if you will uh, as an opportunistic uh, criminal to take advantage of any any opportunity to confine somebody to obviously sexually assault them Um, probably all kinds of other horrific things are happening and eventually the murder and the dismemberment to get rid of the body so you know the things that we hear about on a regular day is citizens this one is what nightmares are made of quite Mm -hmm. frankly but um you know, the, the good news is uh, that the investigation was concluded the way that it happened today, that the, uh, the the victim's families have been spared. And it's not so much the details. They do know the yep. details, but they're spared having to sit, as you and I have done yes. before, for, for weeks and months in a courtroom. And, and not just hear the details, but to hear the grind of trying to get somebody convicted in today's society and in, in with the benchmark set so high in court, even a case like this, you sit on pins and needles wondering if you're going to get a conviction or not.
1: Yeah, and not to mention, it's always difficult when it's not just that you're listening to your loved one being degraded, but then everyone else is hearing it, and and you want to protect that person, even though they might not be with us. You know, it's deeply personal to those who have lost loved ones here, and and, and they go through it every single time they hear about it. But interestingly, not just the kill uh, kit that he had, which clearly is a sign that he had no plans to stop, he also kept trophies of his victims. Victims. And we do know that police busted him uh, pretty much when he was in the act, a sexual act, with someone who they thought might be put at risk. And that's why they went into the apartment. But they had been searching his apartment and I guess had managed to take um, uh, computer hard drives. And I think those hard drives likely gave them a lot of the information, namely photographs, that would have uh, shown them what he did with his victims, correct? Correct.
0: There's no doubt about that. That's exactly where they started to gather the momentum and, and lead to the arrest of MacArthur. And it's interesting. I mean, he um, he hits all the check check boxes in terms of a serial a sexual sadist, a serial killer. You know, in that he did have the kill kit with him, always ready to go. That he was, um, you know, involved in in um, confining his victims for a period of time. And
1: oh we've just lost a Perry. Okay, we're going to try to get Dave back on the phone. Maybe Dave uh, can just Those give us... Those kinds oh, of things. And we then... lost you for a second there. Hold on. Oops. David, we are losing you on that line. Can you just give us a phone call on the landline? Uh, we are talking to Dave Perry, who is uh, with homicide, uh, certainly with Toronto, been there for a long time. But one of the areas of crime uh, that he has a specialty in is sex crimes. And I came to know Dave Perry because of the Holly Jones abduction, rape, and murder and dismemberment. So this is a particular area that he has a lot of experience with. Um, and so when he started listening this morning to the breakdown of what Bruce MacArthur's agree uh, statement of facts had said, uh, he right away knew, okay, this takes it to a certain level. This goes beyond uh, that level. And and that's where we are. Uh, do we have Dave back? Oh, there I'm we go. back, are. Alex. Love yes. technology. Welcome. Yeah,
0: sometimes it works, sometimes <laughs> it doesn't.
1: <laughs> Let's talk a little bit. We were talking about... Um, I don't really remember. Where were we talking about? Oh, we were talking, well, I'll move on to the 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 posing of victims. Um, that speaks, I think, to a completely different level um, than just killing, because, you know, it speaks to a deliberate plan and a degradation of the victim.
0: Yeah, it does. And it, it really talks about the depth that this guy was willing to go to uh, further, not just impact the, the victims and, and their families, but uh, really just to show that he was uh, somebody who had a rich fantasy life. And for for sex offenders at his level, for serial sex offenders, uh, a lot of them are all about that. You know, there's, there's the whole uh, excitement to them about planning and executing on, you know, the abduction and the confinement and the sexual assault. But uh, because they live such a rich fantasy life, they can also carry that on for a very long period of time. And the way they do that... Is to collect trophies, so they tend to ke- keep something. And and I, I'm sorry, but this is the terminology we use in policing. They ke- collect a trophy or a souvenir from their victim, mm-hmm. that can that can allow them to do that. You know, really for forever. Uh, and in, in a lot of cases, in what we're hearing in the Macarthur case, they also take photographs and they videotape their victims. And in this case, it sounds like it was um, it was after death that mm-hmm. after he had co- committed the murders, he posed his victims he dressed his victims and he took pictures and again that's all about this sick sadistic uh, ideal that uh, they can they can fantasize about this and relive the experience at any time
1: you know, it's interesting though. He had relationships with some of these men. I mean, he, some of these men met the people that where the body their bodies would inevitably be buried. I mean, uh, the Fosters met many of these men who would ultimately be killed, and so he did have some kind of level of a relationship or a trust built with them. Is that is that normally how they do this?
0: Well, he does fit into that category of serial killers who are often, you know, at least of average intelligence and have a decent amount of social skills and are very good at deception and manipulation and they make that one of their top skill sets. So they they will gain the trust of people. They can walk amongst us. And you know, we've often talked about this. There you know, there's no such thing as monsters. Um, but a guy like MacArthur clearly is one, but he doesn't present as one. He presents as a big teddy bear of a guy who's friendly and warm and engaging, he can go out to bars and he can socialize he can he can get onto dating sites he can meet people he can gain their confidence and that 's where he starts to uh, portray his true character as a serial killer when he switches from that social fun, kind, friendly person into the depraved and and sadistic killer that he is. And the second he's got them as vulnerable as he can possibly have them is when he will take advantage of that. And we heard all kinds of things about about binding and potentially about drugging and all kinds of things to gain control. And then he becomes the monster. But it's the monster that none of us get to see until eventually they're identified and arrested and, and we go through a process like we did today.
1: Certainly there had to have been some marker or some red flag waving throughout his life that just simply was missed.
0: Yeah, potentially. And we did hear about the fact that there was a, a violent uh, assault yes. on a on a prostitute and, and that he, in fact, was arrested and charged and convicted for that. He was banned from the gay village for a period of time and he was not to be in the company of prostitutes. So, yeah, there were some red flags. But for any of us, even the top behavioral scientists in, in the world, to make the quantum connection or leap from that particular act, which unfortunately happens uh, way too often, in in that particular world, mm-hmm. and I'm talking about when but prostitution is a very violent world, and quite often the, the Johns, if you will, become very violent. And we see that on a very regular basis, but how do you connect that to somebody who's connected to it as a serial killer to you know eight missing people? Yeah. It, it, it's very, very difficult. And that's, that's one of the things about this case that through the review, and I know it's going to be a, a very thorough review, you know, they're going to have a look at what the police perhaps could do next time or perhaps could have done better, and I'm not saying that they could have done anything different to arrest them sooner than they did, but uh, that's what we do in very serious cases, and Bernardo's the last one that we all remember well, Um, when that case was concluded in court, we went into a full review, Justice Archibald Campbell did a 383 page report on that case and he he pointed out uh, you know some of the inadequacies inadequacies of, of the police standards at that time and as a result They've been significantly changed, and you never know. There might be some changes that come out of this review as well.
1: Well, certainly this case and the Millard case uh, certainly, uh, you know, have a few questions hanging over uh, them that I hope that they look into. Quickly, before I let you go, um, you know, serial killers are good at what they do because they are meticulous. But, you know, surprisingly, he did leave quite a bit of uh, DNA behind, so he wasn't that careful.
0: Yeah, you know, a lot of people think and, and will say something like, obviously, he wanted to get caught, but you know what But that's giving them way too much credit mm-hmm. um you know the reason that we catch these people eventually is because they do make mistakes and in every single murder case where there's been an arrest there's usually a mistake that was made or several mistakes that that lead to the the, the one piece of evidence or the tip that gets the police on the right track and with serial killers that's why they're serial killers They they spend a lot of time planning and thinking and they're very deliberate in what they do and uh, and in this case, and it's something that we talked about uh, even before he was identified and arrested. That whoever was abducting these men was had a had a uh, a disposal site. They had a place where they could put these bodies, yeah. and that they were being uh, you know undetected and unfound for a very long period of time. And and that's what made this case especially hard. It's a dismemberment case where there were fragments of human remains that were kept in a place where nobody would have been looking. And that's what made this one even extra extraordinarily difficult to solve.
1: Yeah, well, we'll learn more details, I'm sure, in the coming days. David, thank you very much for the hindsight. I appreciate the, uh, always the look pleasure, behind Always a Alex. Pre- appreciate it. That is uh, Dave Perry joining us uh, tonight. He's got a view that very, very few do in big uh, kind of cases like this. So it's always good to get that expertise. Here on Point, I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio.